First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, and you turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We are walking through the book of Acts this year as a church, and today we're here in in chapter 9, we're in the middle of this series called Limitless, because the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is limitless. Last week, we saw just how limitless it is, that there is no limit whatsoever to who God can and does save. Uh, In the beginning of Acts 9, Jesus saves a, a guy who really was enemy number one of the early church, a man who who was literally on his way to arrest Christians and take them off to prison. That's how much Saul, that we know as the Apostle Paul, originally, initially, didn't like Jesus, didn't like his followers. He was going all over the place, persecuting them, but on the road to a city named Damascus, Saul met Jesus, and his life was never the same. We're picking up the story today in verse 19, and by this time, uh, Saul has been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. The temporary blindness that he had for three days after meeting Jesus is now gone. And so both physically and spiritually, Saul uh, could say those words, I once was blind, but now I see. Let's see what happens next. Acts 9, verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates of the city day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus." And Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, you know the hearts of each one who is here, each one who is listening even now. Father, you know where we are. Father, I pray for any listening right now that don't yet know your son, Jesus, in a personal way, that today you'd work in their hearts. They would cry out to you and be saved. And Father, I pray that you would build up your church today, that you would speak to our hearts that word we need to hear, whether it's a word of correction or instruction or encouragement. Father, give us ears to hear even now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a a child of the 1980s, one of my favorite movies growing up was the movie Karate Kid. How how many of y'all remember 
Remember Karate Kid, right? That's a classic 1984 classic movie. Uh, it's about Daniel LaRusso who travels with his mom across the country to California. He starts getting picked on, starts getting beat up. Uh, but then Daniel is befriended by a kind, wise sage, Mr. Miyagi. Right? And I think that's really the moral of the movie. We all need a wise, elderly Asian man, preferably one who specializes in the martial arts, to befriend us and help us through life. Uh, but, but really, Mr. Miyagi agrees to train Daniel, right? He agrees to, to teach him karate, to get him ready to fight the bad guys, the Cobra Kai, uh, in an upcoming tournament. Uh, but the thing is that the way that Mr. Miyagi begins to train Daniel doesn't make a whole lot of sense to him. And it's almost like he's just making him do all his chores, right? He has him, has him sand his floor, right? He has him wax his cars, right? Wax on, wax off, right? He has him paint his fence. And it's like three days of just grueling labor. And at the end of that three days, I mean, Daniel's frustrated, right? He feels like, you know, you're just like treating me like your errand boy. This has nothing to do with karate. But then there's this scene in, in the movie. It's kind of like the turn of the movie right here. And you see an image of it this night after Daniel's worked so hard, right? And Mr. Miyagi, right? He says, Daniel-san, right? I, I know I need to work on my, my Miyagi a little bit, but Daniel-san, show me, paint the fence, right? And so he, he shows him paint the fence and, and, and he begins to teach him how all of these things that he was doing when he was doing those chores for him really were teaching him the basic moves of karate that really without Daniel even realizing it, Mr. Miyagi was preparing him. He was preparing him for the battle that was to come. And, and church, that's what I see the Lord doing here in Saul's life. In these early days of his life, right after he came to know the Lord Jesus, the Lord is preparing Saul for his future. He's preparing Saul for the way that he is going to use him in the future, even when Saul doesn't realize that that's what's going on. You know, Saul could have never dreamed the full extent of how the Lord was going to use him. That he was going to end up being what everyone considers the greatest missionary and church planner who has ever lived. He would take the gospel all over the known world. That the Spirit of God would inspire him to write, again, about half of the New Testament in the letters that he wrote to the churches. He didn't know that all of that was going to happen, but the Lord did. And the Lord was preparing him, even in this passage that we're looking at today, for all that was to come. And, and here's the thing. I know that Paul was, was unique. Paul was a special case. Of course, none of us have the calling on our lives that uh, the apostle Paul had upon his. We need to understand that. And yet with that said, the Lord does want to use every one of his children in this room as a part of his plan. The, the Lord has called every one of us to be on mission. The Lord has sent all of us out. The Lord has prepared good works for each and every one of us to do. And that means that just like he did with Saul, the Lord also wants to prepare us for how he plans to use us in his sovereign purpose. Here's the main truth that I want us to see in this passage today. The Lord prepares each of us for our role in taking the limitless gospel to the world. The Lord wants to prepare each of us for our role, our unique role in taking this great gospel to the world. The neat thing is that the very same methods, 
that the Lord used to prepare Saul are the same methods that the Lord uses even today, 2,000 years later, to prepare us. There are just some basic things that we all need to learn and experience if we're going to be used by God. We all need to have some experience sanding the floor and painting the fence and waxing the cars if we're going to be used by the Lord. And so today I want us to see together four ways that the Lord God prepares us to use us in his plan. Here's the first way. The Lord prepares each of us by giving us opportunities to serve right now. Gives us opportunities to serve right now. You, you can see that Saul doesn't waste a whole lot of time before he begins serving the Lord. And in verse 18, he's baptized. And then in verse 19, he, he gets some food to eat. He hadn't eaten in three days. He spends a little bit of time with the disciples. We don't know how long that phrase, some days, refers to there. But sometime they were encouraging him. They were sharing stories with him, I'm sure, of how the Lord had worked in their life. And definitely that would be an encouragement as a new believer to hear. And, and yet, look at verse 20 and what it says there. Immediately, notice that word immediately. He preaches Christ, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So again, Saul gets right after it. He doesn't waste a, a lot of time. He, he, he gets saved and he marches right into the synagogues and he begins to tell his fellow Jews about Jesus, that Jesus is the son of God. Now, he, he, at this point, Saul didn't know a whole lot of Christian theology, now, he was a Pharisee. He was an expert of the Old Testament scriptures, but he had not had anyone who had discipled him at this time. Uh, he hadn't been to seminary. He hadn't even been to a Sunday school class. And, and yet he walks right into the synagogue. He'd only been saved for about five minutes, and he's already telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come back to that. But what Luke really focuses on here is the reaction that people have to hearing Saul tell them about Jesus. Uh, they didn't know what to think. In verse 21, it says people were amazed. They, they, they said, now, wait a second, time out. Isn't this the same guy that, that we heard who is absolutely destroying people who followed this man Jesus in Jerusalem? And, and didn't he come here for the same reason? Didn't he come here to Damascus to do the same thing, to arrest these followers of Jesus of Nazareth and to haul them off to jail? And so why in the world are we hearing this guy start to tell us about Jesus? He's starting to sound like one of them. And so they didn't know what to make of it. But once they got over their shock, I'm, I'm sure they didn't take what Saul was saying laying down. And they began to argue with him. They began to debate with him because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting for. And yet they found out pretty quickly that they had their hands full dealing with Saul in a biblical debate. It says in verse 22 that Saul was confounding them. The NIV says he was baffling them with his arguments about Jesus. He was proving to them, no doubt, from their own Old Testament scriptures about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ. Verse 22 says there's a spiritual reason for that, though. Look at the beginning of that verse. Saul increased all the more in strength. That word strength refers to spiritual strength, that the Lord was strengthening him, that the Lord was empowering him already for this ministry that he had called him to. And, and so I love this little snapshot here of Saul as a brand new Christian, already being used in a powerful way by the Lord. It, it of course, is a preview of what was to come. But before we move on, again, the thing that we cannot miss, we're, we're talking about how the Lord prepares us, how the Lord prepared Saul. 
But notice that part of the way that the Lord uh, uses to prepare us is by putting us to work right away. Like a good coach, the Lord will put us into the game because he knows that getting some live reps is oftentimes the best practice, the best experience that we can have. We're going to talk in a minute about how there are times when we need to be away. There are times of, of waiting and times of allowing the Lord to, uh, to prepare us as we wait on him. That's important. We don't want to rush that. But, but here's the thing I've seen. I, I've also seen many believers fall into the opposite extreme. I, I've seen many believers who are always preparing and never doing. There may be some of you who would say, you know what, in my life, if I count up, I think that I've heard about 85,000 sermons and about the same number of Sunday school lessons. And yet, maybe you've heard 85,000 sermons, but you never have shared one of them with one of your neighbors. And if that's the case, church, what is the use of all of that preparation if we're never going to use it? Right? What is the use of all of that if we're never going to share it, if it's never going to leave the walls of the church, if it's never going to come up in conversation, if it's never going to be used as a part of the mission that God has called us to? And so we can learn something from Saul here, I think. He didn't know a whole lot at this point, but he knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And he began to tell people that. He began to point people to the Lord. And friend, even as a brand new Christian, you can do the same thing. And so, friend, right now, what is one way that you can start serving the Lord? Well, what is one way? Maybe, maybe there's something you need to seek out this week. Take some action on that this week to seek out some opportunities to serve him, to, to get in the game like Saul did. That's a big part of our preparation to be used in the future. But here's the second way that the Lord prepared Saul. This is also absolutely essential for us as well. The Lord prepares us for service by giving us a great deal of time alone with him. You know, there's a little phrase at the beginning of verse 23 that, that we cannot miss. It, it says, now after many days were passed. Now, the reason why that is so important is that most scholars believe that that phrase, many days, corresponds to a three-year-long period in Saul's life. That when you look at the chronology of his life, that there are three years in that half of a verse. And he talked about it in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, look at what uh, he said to the church in Galatia. He said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, now the point that the apostle Paul is making in Galatians chapter one is he's making the argument that he did not receive his apostleship. He did not receive his message from other men, but he received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the other apostles did, that the Lord Jesus is the one who taught them and instructed them all. And one of the ways that he makes that argument is he says, listen, I didn't even go see any of the other apostles until I had already been a Christian for three years. And then he tells us where he spent those three years. He says he spent it in Arabia. 
Now, the word Arabia there refers to the Nabetan Desert, which is east of the Dead Sea. And so this, this three-year period that uh, Saul spent in the desert is a period of time that is in many ways a mystery to us. We don't know all of the things that he did in those three years. And we can imagine one thing he did was continue to tell people about Jesus because that's what he does everywhere he goes. But also there are implications here that he spent a great deal of that time alone with the Lord, allowing the Lord to teach him and instruct him from the scriptures. Sometimes people refer to this three years in his life as Paul's seminary years. He was enrolled in the Arabian Desert Baptist Theological Seminary during this period of time. One person said he got his DD degree, his doctorate of the desert And uh, that may seem like a wasted period of time for us. You know, we may think, here's this guy, just got saved. He's got this incredible uh, conversion story. Uh, What would we do, right? We would start to fill up some Colosseums and get this guy on a speaking tour, right? We We need to start letting people hear this message. And yet, that's not what the Lord did. The Lord gave him three years of time, mostly in the desert. Three years alone with him. And and that wasn't the only time of preparation. At the end of our text, in verse 29 and 30, after he's run out of Jerusalem, he ends up going to his hometown of Tarsus, modern-day Turkey, and he spends the next eight years in and around his hometown. In fact, when you add it up all together, the three years in the desert, the eight years in Tarsus, a couple other years as well, all together, there are 14 years that go by in Saul's life between the time that he is saved and when he goes out on his first missionary journey. And so all the things that we know about the Apostle Paul, his three missionary journeys, right? All the letters that he wrote to the churches that are in our New Testament, all of that took place after a 14-year period of time of preparation in his life. God knew how he was going to use Saul, but he wasn't in a hurry. (laughs) And he knew the time that he needed in order to be prepared for what God was calling him to do. And the same thing is true for us. Listen, every Christian needs extended life seasons in the Lord's school. God uses seasons in our life to get us ready for other seasons in our life that he knows are coming. That, that can be hard for us sometimes, I think, especially when you feel like you know exactly what you need to be doing and, and you feel like you know exactly when you need to be doing it. And for most of us, that was like yesterday. Right? And so we have a hard time waiting on the Lord. Friend, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in a waiting place. Maybe you're in a holding pattern. It's so hard for you right now. But friend, wait and trust in the Lord. That his timing in your life is perfect. That he's getting you ready. That he's getting you prepared. That he's using you now as he does that. But, but he's not assigning busy work to you. The Lord doesn't assign busy work. And every lesson that he's giving you now is a lesson he's going to use in the future in some way in your life. But you know, in addition to extended seasons of life being prepared by the Lord, when we think about our time alone with the Lord, every Christian also just needs a daily quiet time alone with Jesus. Friend, if you want to get prepared to be used by the Lord, there is no more important habit in your life to develop than that habit of spending time every single day in the Lord's presence. You're not going to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus if you don't spend that consistent time with him. You're not going to develop a deep, rooted love relationship with him 
without spending time in prayer and spending time in his word. There just is no shortcut to it. There's no other way for it to take place. And so if that has not been a habit in your life up until now, start that habit today. Find a time that works in your daily schedule where you can consistently meet with the Lord. Maybe it means setting your alarm 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. It's as simple as reading a passage from the Bible and praying and talking to the Lord about it. Maybe even if the Lord leads you just to sing and and worship him, to spend some time with the Lord. And as you do that, Christian, day after day and week after week and year after year, not only are you going to be growing in your love relationship with Jesus, but along the way, all those mornings, all those evenings in his word, he is preparing you for how he's going to use you in the future. Here's a third way that the Lord prepared Saul and that the Lord wants to use to prepare us. Now, this one isn't nearly as enjoyable as some of the others, and yet it's essential also. The Lord prepares us by giving us experience with failure, with suffering, and with persecution. In Saul's case, when you put the chronology together of these early years of his life, I believe after he was saved, he had a short time in Damascus, spent three years more or less in the Nabetan wilderness, and then came back to Damascus again. And that's when these events of verses 23 through 25 take place. Look at that with me. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through a wall in a large basket. You see the Lord's sovereignty here. This is why this plan became known to Saul. It's because the Lord wasn't finished with Saul. The Lord wanted to preserve him, protect his life. And and it almost reads like an action movie, right? You got these guys who are wanting to kill him. They're watching the city gate night and day, waiting for Saul to try to walk through the gate and they're gonna pounce on him. But Saul has some friends, one of whom has a home that's built into the side of the city wall that has a window in it. And so they put Saul inside of a large basket and they lower him down the side of the city wall where he's able to run away to safety. And while we praise God for that, that he protected and preserved Saul, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were Saul. And imagine when you're curled up in the fetal position in a ball inside of a basket and you're being lowered down the side of the city wall because people are waiting around to kill you. At some point in that journey inside of that basket going down to the side of the wall, you're thinking to yourself, this is not what I thought this was going to be like. Right? This is not what I thought it was going to be like to serve the Lord. Again, he had just come back from three years in the desert in in Jesus' seminary, three years of intimacy with the Lord Jesus. He comes back into Damascus. I don't know what he was thinking. He might have been thinking, you know what? There's about to be a revival take place here. And this is going to be like when Jonah went into Nineveh, right? This whole city is probably going to turn to Christ. And so he goes in there and not only does the whole city not turn to Christ, they want to kill him and he has to leave town on the old Basket Express, right? And then he goes to Jerusalem and the same thing happens again, right? The cycle repeats itself. He speaks about Jesus. People get angry. He has to leave town. It wasn't like those were the only two times that happened either. In 2 Corinthians 11, He talks about some of the other sufferings and persecutions that he went through. Now, at the end of this, he refers to this basket incident that we just read about, but he says a lot of other things. Listen to all the things he went through. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labor is more abundant. And stripes above measure. 
in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, verse 32, in Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Wow, I mean, that's, that is quite a list. I, I read one pastor this week who said, and, and I think this is a good just kind of thought exercise to think about this. Imagine if Saul had not experienced any of that. Imagine if he never had any failure at all, no persecution, no suffering at all. Imagine if he walked into Damascus, everybody did get saved. And that happened everywhere he went for the whole time of his ministry. This pastor said Saul would have been insufferable if that had happened. And I agree with that. I think he would have thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. He would have started to think that it was because of him, it was because of his gifting, it was because of his power that people were turning to Christ like they were. And he, started, he might have started to think that his success had something to do with him and God uses failures in our life to show us that that is not the case. I was thinking about, I remember when I was a youth pastor in, in Raleigh and uh, it was my first year at the church with my youth group. And, uh, and I, we had a fun weekend plan. And I want to do some fun, messy games. With I had grown up doing some messy games with Pastor Doug. Always loved it. And so I went and got some rotten tomatoes, all kinds of rotten vegetables. And, you know, we had the teams. And they were supposed to try to keep somebody clean. And so they're running around. And they're, they're putting all this rotten fruit. And I thought it was going to be awesome. And uh, at the end of this thing, I look over to the side. There's a group of middle school girls that are just weeping. I mean, just weeping. I start getting calls from parents. What did you do to my child? They had a terrible time. What, 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 my, why did my child come home weeping from church, right? It's, a, it's just one of those memories that's just emblazoned in my mind. I think, well, that didn't go the way that I, I hoped. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of other stories like that that I could share with you. Times where things don't work. Times where there's failure. And, and, and it's in times like that in all of our life that the Lord reminds us that it's not about us and it's not by our power. It's by him. Him alone. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm convinced that some of the harder preparations that he allows us to go through in life, some of the lessons in the school of hard knocks that we have to learn are, are designed to drive that truth deeply into our hearts, that we can't do anything without the Lord, that the power comes from him and the glory belongs to him alone. God taught Saul that from the very beginning. And we've seen some of the ways that God prepares us to serve him. He prepares us by giving us opportunities to serve right away. He prepares us by giving us seasons and times alone with him in his presence. He prepares us even by giving us some experience with failure, with, with suffering. Here's a final way that we can see in this story how God prepares us. He prepares us by giving us some godly friends who take us in, who help to shape us and then go into battle with us. 
Like we talked about before, Paul writes in Galatians 1 that it was after he spent three years in the desert that he went to Jerusalem. He only spent two weeks there. He says 15 days. They only met with Peter and the Lord's brother James. But even though he was only there for two weeks, his presence was enough to make a lot of people uncomfortable. You look in verse 26. It says, When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. I'm sure that there were some in Jerusalem who remembered him from three years before. They might have had some family members even or some friends who had been arrested or maybe even killed because of this man Saul. And so they weren't super loving the, the idea of Saul joining them for a Sunday's church service, right? I mean, this would be like inviting Osama bin Laden over to your house for dinner, right? You might want to run him through a security check, right, before he, before he comes in. That's how they felt about Saul, people were afraid of him. Honestly, it says they didn't really think he was legit. They didn't really think he was actually saved. Maybe they thought it was like a Trojan horse kind of thing, right? You know, he's going to kind of infiltrate the church and then write down all of their names so that he can, he can better hand them over and persecute them. That's what they were thinking. But it's right after that in verse 27 where probably my favorite line in this story shows up. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. I don't know if you remember who Barnabas was, but back in Acts chapter 4 is when we first meet Barnabas. He, at that time, was giving away a piece of land. He, he sold a piece of real estate that he owned. He gave all the money to the church in order for them to be able to help some people who were struggling in the church. And, and we find out there that the apostles actually gave him this name Barnabas. That's not his original name. They gave him the name Barnabas, and the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. The reason they named him that is because that's what he was always doing. Whether it was selling land or whatever it was, he was always trying to do something to help and encourage somebody else. And that's what we see him doing here in Acts chapter 9. He's encouraging Saul. He's, he's really vouching for Saul. And he goes to them and he says, listen, guys, he is the real deal. The Lord has met with him. The Lord has changed him. I saw the way he preached in Damascus. I saw the way he told people about the Lord Jesus. He's the real deal. You can, you can take it from me. And the next verse says, verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. In other words, because of Barnabas's testimony, because of how well-respected and loved Barnabas was in the early church, they did take it from him. And they accepted Saul, that he had been converted, that he had become a brother in Christ. They received him in the fellowship and allowed him to serve and minister among them. And you know, we all need people like Barnabas in our life especially when you're a brand new Christian. You, you need a, a mature Christian to come alongside you, to invest in you, and to help you feel at home in your new church family. Now, it's not going to look exactly like this, right? It's not all the time that, uh, that we see a former terrorist of the church come to know Christ, right? And, and somebody needs to vouch for him like this. So it doesn't always look exactly like this. But does anybody ever get saved and then have trouble feeling at home in a local church? Has that ever happened to anybody? 
Ever happened to anybody here? <laughs> right? You, you, you start to attend a local church and, and you just feel kind of out of place. You feel like man, everybody already has their group. Everybody already has their little circle. I don't really know what's taking place here. Maybe I didn't grow up in church. So I, just, I just don't really know, know the drill. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, it isn't that we're trying to make somebody feel excluded on purpose. Sometimes it's just even the language that we use and even the, the customs and procedures that we have that are just new for people. You know, if you're brand new to our church, and you come down to our preschool hallway, let's say you got like three or four kids, and you come to our preschool hallway, and you type your stuff in, and you print off, and, and all of a sudden you have like 57 labels that prints out of that machine, you're thinking, what on earth am I supposed to do with all these labels, right? And you're looking at other people around you, and they look like they know what they're doing, right? They're slapping those labels on their kids, right? And they're, and they're getting them down the hallway, right? And, and you're thinking, I, I don't know what to do here. You know, what is going on? There's things even as simple as that. And you know what you need when you're new to a place, you need a Barnabas. You need a son or a daughter of encouragement to come alongside you to help you feel at home. Not just to be friendly to you, but church, what we need is to be loving to people, to truly make room for them in our lives and in our circles and to welcome them in to a place where they can grow and thrive in their newfound relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this ministry of Barnabases today in the church as much as we ever have. And you know what's neat as you read on in the book of Acts? This was actually the beginning of a long and beautiful friendship and partnership and ministry between Barnabas and Saul or Paul. What happened was, as I said before, he goes to Jerusalem. People want to kill him. And so uh, in Acts 22, he says the Lord actually appeared to him in a vision and warned him that he needed to get out of Jerusalem. And so his friends took him down to Caesarea, which was a port city. They put him on a ship and sailed him back to the region where his hometown of Tarsus was. Again, he spent the next eight or nine years of his life there in relative obscurity. And he doesn't show back up in the story of Acts right away. In fact, the next several weeks, we're not going to hear Saul's name at all. When he shows back up in the story of Acts is in Acts chapter 11. And you know how he shows back up? It's because the same man Barnabas, eight years later, remembers Saul. He goes to Tarsus where Saul is and he gets him. And he brings him with him to the city of Antioch where God was doing some crazy cool things. And it was from that church at Antioch that Paul and Barnabas are sent out on the first missionary journey. And so Barnabas didn't just take Saul in and vouch for him. He helped shape the man that he became. And in the end, he went out into battle with him. And he served with him side by side in the ministry that God had prepared him for. You know, when you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you begin to realize that he isn't just preparing you, he's preparing people around you also. And he brings some friends into your life that you can lock arms together with. They can be partners for you in ministry and you can go out into the battle together and that can make all the difference in the world. You know, when we talk about how the limitless good news of Jesus spreads, we are not the ones who get to write that story. Right, this is God's story. He's the one who determines how his good news spreads. And, and he's the one who gets to write all of our little stories that are a part of that big story. He gets to decide when and how he's going to use us and how we're going to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And along the way, 
You'll probably experience some seasons in your life that are just like the ones Saul experienced here. You'll experience some times of waiting. Again, maybe you're in that time now. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He's preparing you. You'll experience some times of attack, some times of suffering, some times of failure. Trust in the Lord there too. He's using those times as a part of molding you, making you who he wants you to be. But also there'll be some times of great fruitfulness. You'll get to see the Lord work in amazing ways that you never could have dreamed of. But it's all a part of his story. It's all a part of the kingdom he is building. The question is, will you and I be faithful to the one that we met on the road to Damascus? Will you and I be faithful to the one who saved us? Will you and I trust him enough to let him write the story of how he prepares us and then how he uses us wherever he sees fit? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you today for your great redemptive story that you are writing Thank you for this good news that is limitless because of what your son Jesus has done for us. I I pray, Father, right now, if there's one listening that, that hasn't yet met you on the road of their life in a personal way, Father, I pray today they would come to meet you. Father, thank you for the cross where your son Jesus died for all of our sin and rose again so that we could be forgiven that we could be saved, we could be your children. And I pray right now for that one listening, that, that Father, today they would cry out to you. They would open up your, their heart to your grace. And they would be forever changed like Saul was, like so many in this room have been, like I have been. Father, I pray also for all of my brothers and my sisters listening right now. Lord, would you help us to trust your plan? Father, thank you that you use us now and that you're also always preparing us for how you want to use us in the future. So Lord, even this week, we trust in you, we look to you, we wait on you, and we thank you for the story you're writing. And we thank you for the grace that you even let us be a part of it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.